Football Americas live and underway here on ESPN Plus on a Wednesday. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I am Sebi Salazar. Herc, as always, great to be with you. Tell me about that kit you're wearing. Oh, Beautiful this old thing? Timely. Yeah. This old thing is something a, a friend of mine gave me. Um, mm -hmm. I won't say who, but it's from like the early 90s. Um, can you guess the team? Uh, yes, I, I can look at a logo. Inter Milan. Uh, what year? 91, 92? Do we, have an, do we know anybody that, that played around, around Inter Milan in that time that you might know? All right. Folks, folks will get to Wikipedia. The, the internet sleuths, as we know, huge in U.S. soccer circles. I see a uh, face on uh -oh. yours. You know that face. Oh, that is beautiful. Regardless the age, you know that face. Ronaldinho, the uh, the great. Of course, Caretaro legend. How could we how could we forget here on Football Americas? Hurt. Lots to get to on this show, specifically in the guest category. We are we're slammed with guests today. We got Mikey Varas. He's the uh, U.S. under twenty coach. The World Cup about to start this week in Argentina. He's going to. Join us live from Argentina in just a few minutes. Excited about that. Uh, Ali Riley of Angel City and the NWSL is going to stop by as well. We'll talk about not just the National Women's Soccer League, but also, uh, of course, her national team, New Zealand. They're getting ready to host the World Cup. And speaking of the women's game, Amanda Vandevort, she's the president of USL Super League, Herc, a new women's soccer league launching in August 2024. We'll hear all about that. But we got to start, Herc, this show with what some are calling the most Highly anticipated announcement in U.S. men's national team history. That's right. Report started Tuesday morning. They were confirmed almost immediately by U.S. soccer. Following Balogun filing his one-time switch with FIFA. It has been approved, making him eligible to compete for the United States as early as the CONCACAF Nations League this summer. Balogun, of course, 21-year-old striker. Lighten it up in the French League on loan from Arsenal. He's eligible to represent not just the U.S., England, and Nigeria as well. He actually played for England at the youth national team level. But he's coming home, born in Brooklyn. Here he is. Yeah, so my decision to represent the United States, uh, we came together with my family, uh, and we decided it would be the right thing for me, uh, the country I was born in. So, I mean, in the end, it became a no-brainer, but for sure, uh, it's just something that I wanted to do and it feels, it feels like I'm at home here. So uh, luckily for me, my first time is going to be in a competitive tournament. So um, of course the ambition is to win and uh, there's not really much to it. I think uh, I'm going to have the opportunity to train with the boys and just get to know everyone. But for sure, uh, straight down to business when we head over to Vegas. I like to play under big games and it's something that every young player should be aspiring to do. So for me, having the opportunity to play against Mexico in a, in a rivalry will be amazing and hopefully I can make a difference. Yeah, I mean, my reaction was I, w I was a bit overwhelmed. I think um, I knew the US is obviously a big, a big country, but I didn't realise just how many people was involved in soccer, especially. I mean, every time I just went on social media, I was just seeing loads of comments, people saying that I should choose to represent the US. And I mean, it's nice to really uh, to feel that, to feel that appreciation, for sure. Bowler and Balogun committed to the US men's national team, Herc. What is the impact on the program? It's massive, Seb. Listen, we've gone through the abysmal 
play in the pool lately. You've got players who are on the verge of getting relegated, whether it be in the Premier League, in La Liga. You've got players who aren't making game day squads. You've got players who are playing and not a good moment. This is a ray of sunshine, a ray of light. And not only is it a ray of light, but this is one of the best players in his category in the world. A goal mm. scorer. There, there is no hotter goal scorer. There is no player who scored more goals in his age group than Fuller and Balogun. It's that simple. In a position that you could say is all of a sudden gotten deep, but it's historically been of need. And here you have a guy that's proven to score goals in a very competitive league at a very young age with a high ceiling. Not since Giovanni Reina have you had a player with this ceiling. This changes almost everything heading into mm. this summer. Yeah. This is massively important. I'm with you. I like that you use massive because sometimes when you get a prospect, we want to shy away from it. We don't want to overhype him. Uh, but when you see what this kid is doing already, top flight, first division, big five leagues in Europe, you say, okay, he's going to definitely have an impact on the U.S. men's national team. And for me, Herc, the size of the impact comes down to the position that he plays. I don't think there's a more important position, not just because you played it, than the number nine, right? Globally, if you have an elite number nine as a national team, even if you're not that good, I think it changes your ceiling in international competition because you don't have to be incredibly efficient as a team. You just need that one guy who maybe you create two or three chances. And now a team that maybe is around a 16 team with a great finisher could be a quarterfinal team, could be a semifinal team. And then when you talk about the United States, it's the position of most need. When you look around the rest of the U.S. team, is there a position they need more than the number nine? So to, to check that box potentially her for the next five, maybe even 10 years. Let's not forget, this guy's just 21 years old. I don't think you could have a bigger announcement, a bigger find in terms of a player than this. Not unless you found the player who's going to rival Tyler Adams because he's had an issue or pension for not staying healthy. Mm. That would mm. be the only thing I could think of, Seb, but you're absolutely right. Listen, there's a lot of depth. I'm going through the names. You've got Balogun now. You've got Haji Wright, Josh mm -hmm. Sargent, Ricardo Pepe, Daryl Dike, Jordan Pifak, Brandon Vasquez maybe coming through the mix. That Jesus Ferreira, excuse me. Yes, the producer's getting angry. Jesus Ferreira, who's obviously still in the mix. That, those are a lot of names, but none of those names will move mm -hmm. the needle right, like a flow Balogun right now, and I mentioned it. It's not that he's just scoring goals. It's how young he is and where he's scoring them at the pace he was scoring them at. Listen, he's in a little bit of a slump, just returned to his goal-scoring ways. It's something a, a goal scorer will go through, but this has to excite you. It's not one of the best goal scorers in his age group. It's the best goal scorer in his age group in the top five leagues. Do you think it's such a significant addition that it could change the balance of power in CONCACAF? Because right now it feels like U.S., Mexico, Canada, at any moment one could jump ahead of the other. Is this, is this that big of a deal? With the right coach, yes. And until mm. that's in place, I can't sit here and tell you this will be a success story. Obviously, this is an 11v11 game. A better team will trump a better goal scorer any day of the week. So we need to know who's in charge, who's at the helm, how they will play. But, man, this certainly tilts the cards in the U.S.'s favor yeah. heading into the summer. And what was a pick'em game may be now leaning towards the U.S. with a goal scorer. Beyond Balogun, Herc, the impact on the program to me as far as dual nationals and recruiting, you always talk about Mexico being kind of a, a youth World Cup, a youth national team, global superpower. Powerhouse. I think you say it tongue-in-cheek. When we're going to talk I about recruitment, and in this age of globalization, recruiting dual nationals, tri-nationals is going to be hugely important. The U.S. is now a superpower. They just took a great prospect from a national team that's better than the United States. And by the way, had this kid first, 
right? So this to me is a major win. And I think that's only going to help the U.S. going forward on a macro level. And her consider how different the, the approach, the reaction to dual Nats is even to like 10 years ago in yeah. American soccer circles. When you remember some of the biggest names Giuseppe in American Rossi, soccer. Yes, yes. Well, we've talked about it before on this show. Landon Donovan, Bruce Arena, Abby Wambach. We're all kind of like, no, dual nationals aren't. Now it's the greatest thing that's ever happened yeah. to this pool. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Now, there's a few ways to slice up what you just said. While it may be true, the U.S. probably more than any other country has more to choose from. That's a reality, yes. would you say? Yes. Okay, uh, there you go. Uh, and two, when we're talking about a player like Flo, a player like, like Kim, could you imagine how different it would have been if, let's say, you gave it one more week? Today, Ivan Tony, mm. a, a player in the Premier League who was very much in Southgate's plans ahead of Balogun, is suspended for the next eight, nine months, I believe, uh, for, for gambling allegations in the Premier Leagues. How that could have maybe affected the choice or the decision. Sometimes it's getting at the right time and convincing the player, mm. a player who very much so wanted to feel the love. Speaking of timing, Herc, this is perfect timing for U.S. fans because, of course, on June 15th, it's USA against Mexico, CONCACAF Nations League semifinals. Does Balogun just walk into the starting spot for that game? It sure sounds like it. I mean, from listening to that, it, there's no call-up yet, right? One would mm -hmm. assume, it's safe to assume, I should say, that he would be on that call sheet. And he's mentioned Vegas, so he knows he will be there. When you look at the names, Ricardo Pepe right now is probably the only goal scorer, is probably the only forward who's a goal scorer who's scoring goals, so he will be there. We saw him split a little bit of time uh, in their last two games under Anthony Hudson. If I'm following Balogun, if I'm following Balogun, if I'm Flo right now, and I had these mm -hmm. discussions about recruitment with Anthony Hudson, with whomever the powers may be at U.S. Soccer. I want to know my role. I want to know where they see me. I want to know how they view me. And if he makes this decision, mentions Las Vegas, I don't say they promised him the position, but he's got a good mm -hmm. idea. He's walking in and getting an opportunity right away. So I would assume he's starting versus Mexico for sure in Vegas. Where's the depth chart? you know, like behind him at that position, because you've always been really high on Josh Sargent. Still am. You mentioned Pepe's score yep. now, but of course, uh, when we look at Pepe, you know, bad news for him in that Balogun is added to the team, so a little more competition for that top spot. And then on top of that, Herky gets poked in the eye uh, playing for Groningen in the Dutch league. So how do you see the depth chart now that Balogun is on the team with Pepe involved? Listen, I don't count a player like Pepe out. Um, I think the sour taste in his mouth from Osberg has given me a renewed enjoyment, fulfillment, uh, and kind of sense of what it is to be a footballer again. And he's, he's enjoying playing football again. That's a dangerous player. And you saw it, a team like Groningen, who doesn't create a, a lot of opportunities, he scored 12 goals for them. So I have him right now behind Fowler and Balogun because he's in a higher league and scoring goals at a higher rate. Um, just behind him, but you mentioned Josh Sargent. I mentioned the list of players. Haji Wright's mm -hmm. the only one of these players with the World Cup goal. Uh, behind him, you've got a Jordan Pifak who started out hot in the Bundesliga and it went very, very cold. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what Anthony Hudson has in store? Right now, I have uh, Flo, number one, Balogun, number one, Pepe, two, Josh Sargent, three. Those are the three that I would go with. All right, if they're... Uh... 
I was going to say here, sorry, just getting a, a note there from producer Beto. I was going to say, you don't probably hand him somebody else's job, but the reality with the number nine job in the U.S. men's national team, Hot especially hand. if we look back at the World Cup, nobody's taken that job. You had on top of that, there is no manager. We just have a sporting director now. He does have to basically Listen, walk the, into the job, There's right? not been a solid nine for the U.S. since the 2010 World Cup, so. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. Who, who, is, who is involved then? Do we remember? Just do, do your history. Do your history. Yeah, okay, all right. Do your we'll research. Do. I can't do everything for you. Thank you. Okay, uh, doing everything for the U.S. men's national team program right now, Anthony Hudson. Let's hear from him on the recruitment of Fuller and Balligan. Yeah, good. I mean, you know, we spoke with his uh, agent and then spoke with Flo, met with Flo. Um, I think it was important for us to um, have him come in and um, experience a, a, a little bit of our environment. Um, which was in March, um, you know, just to see how we do things, who we are, um, you know, meet with some of the guys, um, just to really get a feel for uh, what we're all about. Um, and then my conversations with him, with him were just, just to really get to know him um, and also just share with him, you know, how we want to play, um, where this team's headed, um, the ambition of the national team and the potential growth that we have ahead of us. And then ultimately how we saw him fitting into that. And um, I think it was, I think it's a really, really, uh, I don't want to say easy transition, but it's just, it's just a good fit, I think, for both parties. Um, I think... Uh, a lot of credit has to go to the players because, you know, my personal experience, having been with the group for a few years now, I think one one thing I've seen is, is a real, uh, you know, a real determination uh, from every single player. Um, I, you can see it in their eyes. Every time they come into camp, every time we talk about where we want to go to, the players have really driven... Um, this the ambition for the team, and I can't see it slowing down. The perception is is definitely changing, so it's it's a it's a plus. And I think uh, he he comes in as another dual national that you know has made a decision based upon what they see and feel about the national team, and it's it's another player that we feel strongly can come in and help us. Anthony Hudson giving credit to the players there, Herc. Who are you giving credit to for Balligan's commit? There's uh, obviously a few players you should give credit to. The group, because he came in and met the group and they made him feel welcomed. Obviously, Eunice Musa, Timothy Weah. You see the social media love they've given him. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to give a lot of credit here to the fan base. Listen, how many times have we heard that U.S. men's national team, you know, social media is toxic? That, that social media in general is a dark place. Uh, it's negative, bad for your health. Here you have a player who is not only coming to terms with who he is as a footballer, but coming to terms with who he is as a person, wants to feel accepted. The most basic emotion for a human is to want to feel accepted. And you have all this love, all this support from a fan base showing you we value you. When England, when Southgate says, wait your turn, we're not ready for you. We do value you. Come here, here's the love. Just as important in the recruitment as Anthony Hudson, as US soccer and the, the people uh, at the helm, as the teammates within that player pool, 
mm -hmm. are the fans. So this is this is amazing to me. Yeah. And when you hear it from the player, it really stands out to you, right? We kind of assume it. You can look at his Instagram. You can see his comments. But when the player tells you, yeah, it was overwhelming. And when we go back to the very beginning, Herc, if you rem remember that first Instagram post, right? Go where you're appreciated in life. It was so obvious that this kid wanted to be loved. And hashtag USMNT Twitter certainly delivered there. I wonder if you're willing to give any credit to not just Anthony Hudson, but Greg Berhalter, right? Because this is a guy who we've now heard from multiple players in terms of building camaraderie within the team. Even a guy like Zach Steffen, who was left out, talked about the camaraderie in this group. It's clearly something that is helping uh, in that dual national recruitment process. You don't even have to have a head coach. And you still have a guy like Balogun willing to commit to the vibes in this team, Herc. He laid the groundwork for sure. I mean, Julian Araujo, who they lost out in in one of those uh, recruiting uh, battles, if you will, speaks very highly of Greg Berhalter mm -hmm. and how he treated him throughout the whole situation. So that speaks volumes. Balogun, number one on Herc's death chart. But what do the numbers say about U.S.? Number nines, there it is. How'd you write Josh Sargent, Ricardo Pepe? Just a few of the names that'll be fighting flow for the number nine spot in U.S. kit for years to come. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. With Sullivan's on the board, and so is the United States. FIFA Under-20 World Cup kicking off later this week in Argentina. Here's a look at the U.S. schedule in Group B. They start with Ecuador and Fiji and Slovakia. For more on this team, let's hear from the man in charge, Mikey Veras, head coach of the U.S. Under-20s. He joins us live from Argentina. Coach, busy man. Thanks for taking the time to join us here on Football Americas. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So a lot of folks that have watched this show know about your under-20 team. We've been tracking you for a while, specifically going back to CONCACAF qualifying, where we talked about it on this show. I don't know that I've ever seen a team at youth national team level dominate a tournament 
like that. For those that haven't seen your team play, tell us a little bit about the style and, and maybe if there's any differences in the team you planning on taking to the World Cup versus the one that we saw in qualifying. Yeah, great question. Uh, I mentioned it at, at qualifiers. The boys did something incredible for their country in that tournament, not only qualifying for the World Cup, but also uh, being champions. And most importantly, I think doing a selfless uh, thing in terms of qualifying the country for the Olympics uh, with zero guarantees that any of those guys would be on that team. I thought it was really amazing. In terms of what you see from the group is uh, you see an incredible American fighting spirit. That's that's first and foremost. We're, we're built on intensity and relentlessness uh, fight. Um, and then on top of that, uh, we really pride ourselves on being an and team. So we are uh, intense and physical and relentless. And we want to be proactive and aggressive with the ball in the attack. Try to score uh, a lot of goals. That's the idea, right? The score goals, deny goal scoring opportunities, um, have a vertical intention to our game, but at the same time, have a maturity and uh, composure to control games. Mikey, I'm curious, as a U20 coach, when you assemble a team, when you assemble the DNA, the makeup, do you go in mind with trying to be as similar as you can to the senior national team so when these players graduate through, it could be seamless, or do you more cater to the pool you have at hand? So there's two steps to this. Uh, one, the Federation has developed a clear DNA and philosophy across all age groups, and that's been massive. So the idea of being brave and relentless in how we play and wanting to be proactive in possession and also a high pressing team, it's it's made things very clear for all coaches who come in. And then, yes, as the U20 coach, my job ultimately is to prepare players for the senior national team. Uh, we want to win games, don't get me wrong, and we're, we're here to win, for example. But ultimately, how many players end up graduating to the men's national team um, in their career is going to be a major way I evaluate myself in the long term. Mm. So uh, making sure that that connection is close and clear is really important, while at the same time playing to the strengths of the players in the pool. It all happens at once. Um, kind of hard to exactly uh, describe, but it's, it's important to find a, a balance between the two. Coach, tell us a little bit about Group B. I'm not going to lie. I look at it on paper. It seems kind of easy. Is the expectation for you guys to win it? Listen, it's a World Cup uh, with all the pressures that come uh, with a World Cup. So there's no easy game or easy group. Yeah, everybody's seen at every World Cup, there's always uh, teams that are not supposed to win that ruin people's tournaments. And so uh, our job is to come here and do our best. Make sure we're prepared every moment uh, with the uh, respect and attention that a World Cup deserves because we have a huge responsibility to make our country proud. And so uh, we're taking it one game at a time. All of the opponents have something uh, that is going to challenge us. And uh, something that we're going to rely on is kind of falling back on the fact that we've played so many different types of opponents uh, over the course of this last cycle um, to make sure that we're dialed in and ready for each game that comes. Mikey, I'm always interested between the balance of, you know, results and performance. Now, obviously, you have players who are missing here, but the U.S. is the only team in this competition to make it out of the quarterfinals in the last three editions. What would be a successful tournament for you, Mikey? Yeah, first and foremost, I think a lot of credit goes to Tab and the previous uh, coaching staff and all those players. I mean, what a, what a run of results that they've had. 
Uh, we've mainly been focusing on the development of our players and uh, taking a step by step with the group that we have. Uh, if you remember, our, the first tournament we had was uh, straight out of a pandemic where a lot of these guys didn't have programming for a year. And when you see the growth of the team from Salaya and that first uh, Revelations Cup to uh, where they are right now, it's absolutely amazing. Um, we have it clearly marked on uh, our milestone wall that uh, our job is to get out of group stage. Uh, to get out of group stage, we have to start accumulating points. Once we're at a group stage, we're here to win and we want to win the whole thing. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're going to take it step by step, uh, play by play, because that's all we can control. All right, let's get to the elephant in the room. We talked about it, I think, last week on the show. Not everybody chipped in. There were some MLS teams, some European teams as well, that decided to keep their players. This is obviously not a tournament that falls in a FIFA window. What was your reaction to that, Coach, and how does it impact your team? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the reaction was kind of a long-haul reaction because I've been having conversations with all of the clubs um, over the last year and um, building relationships, uh, talking through different uh, windows, different releases. And uh, we're disappointed that uh, some of the guys were not released. Uh, but at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, my number one goal here, overarching goal as a U20 youth national team coach is to make sure that I graduate players onto the senior team and help advance these, these guys' careers. And the fact of the matter is in the last year, having so many guys becoming indispensable for their club teams to the point where they're not release releasable um, is something that we can take a lot of pride in and the players should take a lot of pride in also. Although we know they're disappointed to not be here because it's a dream tournament for them and we're disappointed not to have them because we care for them and value them that much. Um, and ultimately, we're really excited that we've been able to develop a pool and the, the strength of our country right now is our diversity and uh, the size and how many academies are developing players. And because that has happened, we have a pool that we can rely on. And we're really uh, grateful for all the clubs that did uh, cooperate and uh, show a lot of support, not only to us, but to their player. Mike, you mentioned that you've been talking to some of these clubs for over a year. You managed to negotiate with a few clubs, a couple of players to be incorporated in for the knockout rounds, Roscas Puskas and Kevin Paredes of Wolfsburg. How do you weigh the risk of calling in two players that will only be available after the knock or after the group phase? Yeah, I think the, the first thing to mention is that it's, uh, it's not an individual decision. It's, uh, at, the, at the Federation, there's a philosophy. Um, we have clear leadership structures uh, where we discuss all of these topics and we debate what we think is uh, a calculated risk and what's worth taking and, and what we're not able to do. And so ultimately I, I, I make the final decision and I decided that uh, a calculated risk for two players that we think can make a big difference um, was worth it. And primarily because looking historically at U20 group stage, uh, matches and how many subs are used. We felt like the guys that we had on the roster would be able to find our, uh, find our way out of the group stage and make that first milestone and then be able to have two refreshers come in after and, and help boost our chances as, as the tournament goes on. Coach, there's one other player I want to ask you about specifically, uh, and it's a guy that we have discussed quite a bit on the show because he's had an interesting career path so far. That's Josh Winder coming out of Louisville City and USL. We, of course, have USL on ESPN. I was watching them play the other week. 
when you read about Josh, it's always center back, center back, center back. When you watch him play with Louisville, he's playing not even as a six. It feels like sometimes as an eight. What kind of role is he going to play for you? Yeah, we see we see Josh with clear potential um, for the senior national team. Obviously, he got the the last call up too to get that experience, which was amazing. Josh uh, fought his way into the uh, U20 World Cup, which I think is an amazing story. A few other guys have similar pathways, um, and he did that by doing well with his club at Louisville City. Um, and also the fact that we have a U19 team with uh, Coach Marco and helping develop guys uh, right underneath the U20. We see him as a U20 player, or sorry, we see him as a center back. Uh, he's got great feet. He's someone who loves to defend, who's very competitive, very open-minded, uh, has a huge growth mindset. And at the end of the day, what we love most about him is he loves to compete. Uh, he's got that uh, competitive nature that's really going to uh, hopefully make us a, a stronger group. He knows he's here to play and to be an important member of the team. He's not here to make numbers. He's here to uh, help us reach our goals. You know, Mikey, I'm really curious uh, about this. Argentina went from not being in the World Cup, not qualifying for the World Cup, to all of a sudden hosting the World Cup and being one of the odds-on favorites to lift the trophy because in the same year that the, or a year later after the World Cup was played, now they're going to be in a World Cup country like Argentina, a soccer crazy country like Argentina. How does that change maybe for you guys getting the opportunity to face them if you cross? Like, what, what does that mean to you? Wow. Yeah. Listen, we, we had training yesterday um, in, the, in the stadium here or off to the side of the stadium here in San Juan. And we told the boys, hey, breathe in, breathe in the stadium. You know, one of these old stadiums, all concrete. But you can smell the football, the passion, the history here. So for us, it's an absolute blessing. Um, you know, we can only control what we can control. We were all ready to go to Indonesia. Things changed. You end up in Argentina to play a World Cup in a football crazy country. We're currently world champions. And I know that their U20 team didn't uh, qualify, but that U20 team is loaded with talent. Uh, we played them uh, March 2021. And... Uh, you're absolutely right. They will be one of the favorites. They play on uh, home field advantage. They'll have the fans uh, behind them. And for us, it's an incredible experience. Diego Maradona, Lionel Messi, you you can name countless legends from this country. And uh, we're, we're ready to embrace this uh, beautiful opportunity. You can smell the football. I love it. Great stuff. There he is. Take it Mike to Javier Mascherano. There you go. Head coach of the uh, U.S. <laughs> Under-20s. Good luck Saturday against Ecuador. We'll be following along. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Great to have Coach Mike Ivaris with us here on Football Americas. Here's a look at the recent history for the U.S. men's national team at the Under-20 World Cup. The best finish way back in 1989. I believe a young Casey Keller was on that team as they finished fourth place. Major League Soccer, salary dump this week, Herc. Thanks to our good friends over at the MLS PA. Here's a look at some of the top earners. If you want uh, more detailed and a very artistic look at this, I highly recommend The Athletic. They had a great graphical breakdown of the expenditures by all the MLS teams. Herc, let's start with an analysis of the individual. You were given the homework assignment of picking out the best and worst contracts in all of Major League Soccer here in 2023. Let's start with let's start with the worst. Let's start on the uh, on the negative here. Who's who's got the worst contract 
in MLS. Jerdan Shakiri uh, has the worst contract in Major League Soccer, and it may not even be his fault, but it is. He's got zero goals this season. The DP, the highest paid player in the league, has zero goals this season. He had seven last season. The Chicago Fire were 13th last season. Or, sorry, 12th. They're 13th this season, so they've gotten worse. I, I know what you're saying. He can't do it by himself, but certainly a player of that caliber, a player who, by the way, scored in his last three World Cups. Only Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi can claim that besides Jerdan Shakiri. And here we are talking about him having one of the worst contracts in Major League Soccer. A player of that caliber should be more productive. Uh, I understand that Chicago Fire may be bad, but you've not seen mm -hmm. anything. At one point in this season, I know he was coming back from injury, but he was behind Brian Gutierrez, a U-20 prospect that wasn't allowed to go mm. to the U-20 World Cup. You expect more from a player of his caliber, and he's not washed. He's 31 years of age. He's prime age to be a very good footballer here, but he's not lived up to this contract. Say what you will. It's the Chicago Fire. Say what you will. It's the personnel around him. This contract has not been good. You know, you know what I'll say, Herc? He's a good friend of the show. He is. I want it on the record that this Jerdan Shakiri hate is Hercules Gomez, not Sebi. So the next time he's on, he knows it was you. Wow. He knows it was you. What do you want me to say? He's got... I, I believe he's actually, he takes up more than 40%. 43. 43% uh, of their expenditure there in Chicago. Yeah, it is, uh, it is really remarkable. A couple other bad ones. I see you protected your boy Rodolfo Pizarro. 3.35 in Inter Miami. I didn't. Oh. I didn't even think of Rodolfo Pizarro. Apologies, he wasn't on my exactly. radar. There, there you go. Uh, okay, let's get to let's get to the good stuff. Who's got the best contract here, huh? Uh, Jalen Neal has the best contract, folks. Jalen Neal, who's a teenager, a center back for the LA Galaxy. One of the positive, positive moments of the LA Galaxy was giving Jalen Neal an opportunity to play. He's proven his worth. He's already had some national team call-ups. He's given me mad Miles Robinson vibes. He makes $138,000. That is three times below the median, the average for a defender in Major League Soccer. I already told you, I see a new contract in his future, and I see a potential sale to Europe very quickly for this defender that I just mentioned, Miles Robinson. He's of that vein, athletic, composed, even chipped in with a goal already this year, and an abysmal so far season for the LA Galaxy. He's been a ray of light. I'll go with Jalen Neal, but I will for my friends on the other side of Los Angeles. Honorable mention, Denny mm. Boanga. Denny mm. Boanga's on a little bit more than $2 million, and Denny Boanga has 15 goals and like seven or eight assists in as many games. In Major League Soccer and in the CONCACAF Champions League, he is a man transformed and probably one of the best, if not the best player right now in CONCACAF. Honorable mention to Denny Boanga. Okay, can I give an honorable mention here? A guy who I sure. think is sure. undervalued and underrated at the national team level and clearly here in Major League Soccer, Jeremy Abobasi. I mean, the guy does nothing but bang home goals no matter where he is. He did it in Portland. He's doing it in San Jose. This guy always needs to get paid more. When you talk about Hanny Mukhtar, what do you always say? Get paid, Hanny, but uh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. And uh, Hanny mm -hmm. should have a say in that because he needs to get paid. But I agree with you in Major League Soccer. You're not going to throw my man in the conversation for the U.S. Men's National Team right now. He's, the, the, the depth Don't chart sleep. Just... Jeremy can play out wide. Don't sleep. Jeremy's versatile. 
You're only talking about Jeremy because he's from the DC area. I know your ways. This is this is absurd. Are you? Are you? I are like you Jeremy. He's a very intelligent individual. But stop uh, picking people because help. they live next to you. No, he doesn't. He doesn't need my help. He doesn't need my help. All, All right. right. Uh, I guess I was given the I was given the homework to uh, look at this from a team perspective, Herc. So I'll start with the positive. Let's go with the best spenders. Okay, the best spenders first, and I'm going with a team that's not on this list, but not too far outside of it, actually. And that is LAFC. They're actually 10th in spending. Wow. Not even in the top third uh, among major league soccer teams. Now, why? Because it's not just that LAFC don't spend the most and win, it's how they win. They have been not just dominant hurt, but history making. You saw the team that they had last year. You saw the team that they have this year. It's consistently good even when they lose players. Say they know how to backfill a roster when it gets top heavy and they got to move a guy like Chicho Arango on. I'm so impressed with LAFC's front office and when you look at their results you would assume that they were number one in the league or by far number one in the league, right? Blowing everybody out of the water when it comes to expenditures. Instead, they're 10th, and actually, if you compare their DP spending, which is really where you see the difference between smart spenders and bad spenders, they spend significantly less than half the league on designated players. I would have thought in LA, you're gonna spend a lot on DPs. There's another team that does. LAFC doesn't. They're really, really smart with their money, Herc. You got a problem with that pick? No, and it goes to show you how incompetent the LA Galaxy front office is. You should be able to convince players to come and make less, to live in California, to live in Los Angeles, and yet the other team across town, the LA Galaxy, mm -hmm. overspends in this category. It just goes to show you, and I agree with what you're saying, uh, the front office at LAFC is by far one of the best, and if I'm the Chicago Fire, I'm taking a dump truck of money to John Thornton's house, and I'm saying, mm. come back home. That's right. You got the connections there for sure. Uh, another team that obviously deserves credit here is Philly. Last year they were 26. No, no, no. You can't, you can't do everything no. you did last last show and dump on Philly and now want to give them flowers. No, and no, no. I'm going to say they're they're 20th this year. The reason they don't get it is because they don't have the trophies. If they spent so little and delivered a trophy, we'd give them credit. But without the trophy, you got to give it to the team credit. that's actually winning. You don't give credit for the record. Well, I, I, they cost me 200 no, bucks, sir. Come on. Which I'm still waiting for. Yes, yeah. Ne next trip out to Los Angeles. It's in the mail, buddy. It's in the mail. Yeah. All right, so how about War Spender, right? The other side of the uh, of the argument here. I couldn't pick because there was there was two teams that really are neck and neck for the title. And two teams, Herc, that you actually used to play for. Toronto FC and the LA Galaxy. They are one and two in spending. The Galaxy right now are 13th out of 14th in the Western Conference. Toronto FC dead last, 15th out of 15 in the Eastern Conference. You're one and two in spending, and you're at the bottom of the table. Now, it might be harsh if we were saying, well, I'm only analyzing you based on the first few games of this season. But if we look at the LA Galaxy and Toronto FC, man, the problems have been there for a while. LA Galaxy has been decent, okay over the last years. So there's been some spikes, Chicharito, Slatan, whatever, but they've not been great. Certainly not compared to what they're spending. Toronto FC has missed the playoffs back-to-back -back years and might be headed for a third straight year of missing the playoffs, Herc. I see these two teams, the way that they spend, the results that they get, they are both really bad, and they're the opposite of the LA Galaxy when it comes to the designated player. If you look at how much they spend on their designated players, these two teams alone, 
It's more than half the league spends on the entirety of their rosters, and yet both teams are mired at the bottom of their respective conferences. Toronto FC, LA Galaxy, I couldn't pick between the two, Herc. Can you? You are something else. We had a discussion about Toronto and all the injuries and whatnot. At least mm -hmm. they're pushing the envelope. They're trying to get talent in here to win. They're still filling up the stadium. The Galaxy, mm -hmm. they're, they're pushing the envelope so much they got caught cheating. At least they're trying. You didn't mention D.C. United, who finally spends. Ooh. And look where they've been last season and this season. And ah. by the way, the Chicago Fire, both teams who don't fill their stadium mm -hmm. up, who, who, who in their areas aren't relevant, and you're going to sit here and talk about Toronto mm -hmm. and the L.A. Galaxy? Is D.C. United okay with being a dormant club? They once were a massive club, a big club. Historically, when it comes to results, they're still there for now. And you're okay mm. with that? I, I don't understand you. And Chicago, I've not seen an atmosphere that bad since the Naperville years. And you're going to Ooh. sit here and really talk about Toronto and the mm -hmm. Galaxy. Wow, to man. You to address the point about Chicago. They were actually going to be my choice for worst spender, but you you chose Shakiri. So, I thought I'd let you, you know, have your moment there with Chicago. As far as DC United is concerned, two points. One, this is the first year they're really spending big. So, give me some time before I judge whether they're terrible spenders or not. They're not in first place right now, but if at the end of the season they're in the playoffs, you got to give them credit. The other thing, Herc, is I've been waiting for 15 years for this team to spend any money. I'm not going to complain the second that they actually do start spending it. So cut my DC United a little bit of slack. Give us at least a year, year and a half chico. before you start that slamming That mentality, equipo chico. I, uh, I, no lo comparto. I'm sorry. Steady. I don't... steady. All right. Enough on Major League Soccer. soccer. Up next, let's uh, turn our attention. I'm going to pay for our game. rights, by the way. I'm just going to let you know. I'm going to pay for the rights. I've decided. USL making waves in the women's game this week. The USL Super League. The new women's league set to start in August of 2024, announcing its first eight markets. Charlotte, Dallas, Fort Worth, Lexington, Kentucky, Phoenix, Arizona, Tucson, Arizona. Nice little rivalry there. Spokane, Washington, Tampa, Florida, and Washington, D.C. Part of this announcement, the news, the USL Super League will aim to obtain Division I status from U.S. soccer, which, of course, would put it on the same tier as the National Women's Soccer League. Great news in the women's game. Joining us from Laura now here on Football Americas, Amanda Vandervoort. She is the president of the Super League. You've been busy this year. Welcome to the show, and congratulations, Amanda. Thanks. Thanks for, for having me back. It's a, it's a delight to see you guys. All right, so let's talk differences between Super League and W League, the very successful league that you guys you know launched last year. I think we had a, a bunch of Minnesota Aurora FC highlights on the show. So what's the difference between the two leagues and kind of how do they fit together? Yeah, the W League is our pre-professional league. So that's made up of 80% uh, college players. Uh, we've got post-college and pre, but really that league plays the uh, summer season from May to July, and it is focused on that pre-professional kind of age group. This, the, the, the Super League, fully pro. So that'll be fully pro across the country, um, kicking off in August of 2024. They work together, though. The W League is a great opportunity for players to develop their game, um, coaches, executives, media, et cetera, so that when they're ready for the pro game, they have experience. It also serves as a great scouting network for our coaches. I guess the obvious question is, where would the players come from? Will it be only mm -hmm. U.S. players, or will you go big in the international market, Amanda? 
Yeah, we we welcome, I mean, players in the United States, players abroad. Um, it'll be a combination of the two, I would imagine. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of Americans also playing abroad professionally who um, I've heard from who are excited to come home. All right, so I'm looking at some of the details about the league here. You are going to be on the international calendar. Then I look Indeed. at some of the cities here. Spokane, Washington could get a little bit chilly. Even Dallas, Fort Worth, you know, they, they get some, some tough weather there in, in January and February. So what's the plan? Why are you guys doing that? And, and how will it look? Well, we want to be on the international calendar because it creates, um, well, which means we'll go from August to June with a winter break and a summer break. So we can, um, you know, create a space where players in the summer months have the opportunity to play in the Women's World Cup, in the Olympics, um, and not be so uh, torn by their club and country schedule, really give them an opportunity to compete at both at both levels. Um, you know, the winter considerations for us, what a great opportunity we have that we, we manage and control both of our league schedules on the men's side and on the women's side. So in a lot of these markets where we also have men's fixtures, we can navigate and manage the schedule accordingly. Um, and we feel really confident that we will be able to, to schedule in, in warmer climates um, when the time is right and when is the best fan environment. It also gets us out of those hot summer months in some of those cities where we have to cancel games um, in the late summer because of thunderstorms or uh, other you know, weather events that happen south. So we actually really believe that this provides a great balance uh, for the for the league. Well, let's talk sanctioning. Uh, why first division? And I'm thinking out loud, especially since there's already a first division in play. Why go that route? Yeah. So when you look at the the pro league standards, which I think is is the the basic element of this question, you U.S. soccer has defined standards, not tiers, right? U.S. soccer has has. It's not a tiered system. So when we look at the opportunity here for the Super League, we want to hold ourselves to the highest standard in American soccer. And when we looked at, you know, the stadium size, the, the, the market um, distribution, and all the elements that go into the Pro League standards, we're absolutely confident and excited that we are a Division One league. Hmm. There is the other Division One league, the National Women's Soccer League. How do you see these two entities Coexisting because I'm imagining at some point competition on the field, but Amanda off the field as well for sponsors, for players, for coaches, for everything. Uh, what do you think the relationship will be like? Listen, there's such a gap right now in American soccer uh, for the women. There's over 100 men's pro teams in this country, and, and we have 12 on the women. So there are cities, there are markets, there are players, there are coaches all aching for a chance to play professional soccer. And so this is going to give them that opportunity. All right, part of this announcement is that there are obviously more markets to come, so you're on Football Americas. Don't be shy. What markets are we looking for, and uh, what's the timeline here? We're looking for more markets, and we're really excited about uh, bringing those announcements here in the coming months. Um, but, uh, you know, we want to make sure that, that we're doing it right and we're doing justice by all those fans and those communities and those ownership groups to make sure that, that those announcements are, uh, are, are, you know, they'll come in the, in the next couple months. Amanda, before we let you go, I want to ask about facilities, because it's one thing to invest in a team. It's another thing to invest in a facility. Just how much a part of this plan is stadiums or facilities sure. for training uh, for the players and the teams that you're going to eventually have? 
Yeah, I mean, that's why we did the announcement the way that we did. We thought it was really important to demonstrate not only our immediate viability, but our long-term sustainability of the Super League. And that means immediate readiness for 2024, but also the infrastructure that the USL is investing in over the coming years. So you look at a city like Indianapolis, for example, that's building Indy 11 Park right downtown with a 20,000-seat beautiful stadium. Um, what a what an opportunity for, for the USL, for that club, and for the Super League to really demonstrate, demonstrate our our commitment to the investment in professional women's soccer. And then we've got stadium projects in Spokane, downtown Spokane, um, you know, I mean, a, a number of those markets that were in the announcement. And yeah, we agree with you. The, the investment in the infrastructure and the facilities is, is incredibly important. And I'm really proud that the USL is, is taking those steps in the professionalization of the women's game. All right, there she is, Amanda Vandervoort, president of the USL Super League. Congrats on a huge announcement, and we'll be uh, ready to watch you guys play in 2024. Awesome. Thank you so much. Promotion playoffs, Herc, on ESPN Plus on Wednesday. Ethan Horvath's Luton Town taking on Lyndon Gooch and Sunderland. Sunderland up 2-1 after the first leg. 2-2 here after Gabriel Osho gets the corner. Oh, no. Loose ball in the box from that distance. All kinds of traffic. That's in. Three minutes later, Ethan Horvath, the big stop, then shouts for a handball here. Uh -oh. What uh -oh. do you think? Uh oh I, mean, I don't think he knew much about it. Ball comes across right there. That's a handball going to the spot. Mm. Handball. What the video shows, but no penalty. Ah. So, Luton up one nothing. They need another, and they get it here. This is I'm a rid ridiculous ball in. Look at the spot. Can't do anything about it. Oh. Good little finish. Luton up 3-2 on aggregate. That's how it finished. They win 2-0 on the day and are headed to Wembley with a shot at the Premier League. Scenes. Joy of promotion relegation. Other semifinal, Middlesbrough. Zach Steffen taking on Coventry City. This one 0-0 after the first leg. Eight minutes in. Steffen called into action and he makes the play. I mean, it's one thing to play against 11, but you're playing against 12. What's the defender doing there? Mm. Steffen, the hero in the first half. Scoreless into the second half. Steffen, way off his line, can't make the play. And Gustavo Hammer. Gonna make him pay. Gustavo Hammer dropping the hammer right there. He comes off his line, makes himself big. It's the second opportunity hammer right there in between Stefan and three other players. Rifles it in the top of the net. Coventry City up a goal. Stoppage time. Last chance for Burrow. Why didn't they send Stefan up? Come on, give our guy a chance. The header off the crossbar. Drama. Oh, it's offside anyway. Yeah, offsides. For Zach Steffen, K. Murray, all the Borough fans. As Coventry City get the 1-0 win. And they are headed to what is called the most valuable game in football, Herc. It's the promotion final, last spot in the Premier League. Up for grabs. You can watch on ESPN+. Plus. Ethan Horvath and Luton Town going for promotion to the top flight for the first time in 31 years. That's Saturday, May 27th, right here on ESPN+. James is still Riley! Oh! And in this rainstorm, a rainbow from Riley!
Ali Riley of Angel City FC joining us next here on Football Americas. A star so big, she gets her own TIFO. Ali, how was that? <laughs> that is the most just emotional intro I've ever seen. That was <laughs> an unforgettable day. Um, and watching that, I, I need to score more goals. Um, no, it, it's it's incredible. The sport we have, the support we have at Angel City is unparalleled. In that first game with that TIFO. It was it was very meaningful, so special. All right, Ali. So this isn't your first time on Football America. It's not going to be your last either. You're going to be joining us throughout the season, <laughs> ahead of the World Cup, after the World Cup. Uh, we're really excited about that. Let's start with kind of where Angel City is right now in league play. Uh, seven games in in the regular season, then plus the Challenge Cup. So you're basically right now right at around 500. How do you assess so far what we've seen this season? I think we are not happy with the results of the games, but I do think we're tracking in the right direction. Whereas last year I felt like we had these ups and downs and we didn't necessarily find a rhythm or really establish our identity. I really feel like that is coming. It was not the result we wanted to lose at home last weekend, but this test on the road now against North Carolina, it makes it even more important. And I feel like every game in this league is competitive. The table is tight, but we want to make sure now, since we haven't gotten the wins at home, that we have to take points on the road. Ali, Sebi mentioned the Challenge Cup. It's normally a preseason tournament, if you will. Uh, there's a big financial prize, a trophy for it, but it's jam-packed in the middle of this regular season. So how do you approach these two competitions? It's different this season, of course, having it throughout the league, but I think having played in Europe, that's really how it is having a domestic cup, at least one domestic cup, having played in Sweden and England and Germany. So I like it. I think it gives us a chance for rotation. I think we have some injured players coming back that are going to be huge for us. And we want to win Challenge Cup. We want to win everything. And I think last year having it at the beginning of the season, it was so compact for us. We didn't do a lot of rotation and it affected us for the rest of the season. So I do think now we have the depth to do well in both the Challenge Cup and the league. But again, we, we need to get some points. Speaking of depth, you guys added a big piece, not necessarily a depth piece when you brought in Julie Ertz. I wonder kind of what you've seen from her and if you can explain in soccer terms, maybe something that U.S. women's national team fans will want to know, which is how specifically... Does Julia to make a team better? I was so impressed with her coming in. I've played against her for many, many years. I'm pretty sure she's scored on, on New Zealand at least once, but she's just, for her to come in that first game, having only trained with the team, I think one or two times and making such an immediate impact, it's just a testament to how good she is as a player, how well she knows the game, tactically how physical she is scoring against Portland that was I feel like a Julie I still think of her as Julie Johnston but a Julie Ertz specialty and that's what we're gonna need I think we are very dangerous on attacking set pieces but we need someone who's really willing to go through a wall in order to score and that's what she really brings for us both offensively and defensively and I just think if she keeps this up and of course as she gets to know us the style of play, each player's tendencies, she's just going to get better and better. And I think she will be a great addition to the U.S. World Cup squad, if named. All right, let's talk about another women's national team player, Alyssa Thompson. Uh, you spoke about Julia Ertz being dangerous. Alyssa Thompson's pretty dangerous, but she's still, this is still her very first season as a pro. So yeah. maybe assess her debut as a professional, what you've seen from her. Well, I just 
am overwhelmed by how much talent that player has. I, I think I've said before, I feel really lucky to still be playing as a 35-year-old with this 18-year-old phenom. The goals she scored, I think, shows just that she has that savvy. She is technical. She can score from a tight angle. She can score from distance. And you would never know that she's an 18-year-old by watching her play. I think she still has room to improve and what's the most important thing is she's open to feedback she wants to learn and i want her to demand things from the senior players or i guess everyone who's older than her and not just and not feel that she has to just learn from us because i think the runs she makes she should be demanding the ball from us especially from us as fullbacks when we're getting the ball opening up that run in behind that's her bread and butter and that's I think so terrifying as as a defender in a backline to have someone with that type of speed and ball control running at you. And just as a person, she's awesome. Her family, I've been able to get to know, and I actually went to high school with her. I went to the same high school, so I spent the day with her um, at Harvard Westlake and seeing her with her friends and her peers and then how seamlessly she fits in with our team socially. I just can't say enough about her. She's a great teammate, and I I'm very, very happy that we drafted her. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about because I remember being the older player, the veteran of the group, and hanging out with some of the young guys, and you really get a sense of who they are, why they are the footballers they are by being around their family or maybe experiencing what they're like outside. You, you experienced that. You actually you guys did like a prom night for Alyssa Thompson. <laughs> is, that, is that right? Yes, we did. So she missed her senior prom and we really wanted to show up for her and make her feel special. And her boyfriend came and we took photos and Sid and the kids were dressed up for the game and the fans showed up and made signs for her. And I think that we've really, really, as a community, embraced her and hopefully made her feel really, really comfortable because it's not easy to come in as the youngest player and to have this pressure and these expectations. And we want her to be herself. We want her to be able to, of course, she's going to miss some of these milestone milestones as a, as a teenager, as a high school senior, <laughs> but we want her to still have fun with it and be able to feel like she can do both. And that night was, was really, really fun. I think for all of us, it made us feel yeah. very young again. Yeah. The staff yeah, too like went all in. Look like you guys are having a uh, a good time. Tell me a little bit about the the HBO docu series. Uh, what's it like being on the inside of that? Is it is it as fun as it looks? Yeah, well, it was really cool to see it all come together after having been followed around and had this docu-series team with us for a whole season and I think it was really hard for them to choose which footage to to use. Yeah, I, I of course had to show my piano playing not talent, but <laughs> To have my parents in it and to just get a look at some of like Freya and just to see players and staff, what you don't see when we're playing. And I think it's really humanizing. I think the documentary is really empowering. I think it really shows how much of an impact Angel City has made and continues to make. And I think it'll encourage a lot of people to get behind not only Angel City, but women's soccer and women's sports and see just how we can actually change the culture and how we're trying to do it now, but where this can go in five or 10 years. And anytime my teammates get that type of 
that chance to talk to an audience to get that kind of coverage. I feel so proud because this team is really made up of incredible, talented, so smart women who are doing so many different things to help make this world a better place. And I think that really, really shines through. And I, it's something that I'll have forever now, this documentation of that first season. So there were some ups and downs. It was emotional to see it again, but I'm glad that we did it. Uh, the records keep on coming from you. Actually, last time we had you on, we spoke New Zealand and, you know, the World Cup. We just didn't go into details. It was about your appearance record. Let's go into details right now. Let's talk about New Zealand's group. You've got Norway, you've got the Philippines, and you have Switzerland. Assess that group. You know, I think when people first hear it, they're like, okay, yeah, you guys got a group that you should be able to get out of. But I think... If you look at the world stage right now and where women's soccer is going, teams are really, really competitive globally. And so I think you cannot sleep on any of these teams, just like I hope they're feeling that way about us. And we had a pretty tight result against the Philippines. I know Scotland um, just beat them 2-1. That's not a game that we can take lightly. Norway and Switzerland are both good European teams. Anyone that comes out of the European stage to make it to the World Cup, you know is good because that is such a competitive region to come out of. So I think we really have to take these next couple of months when we're not in camp together and find a way to connect. We have to do our analysis. We have to have these conversations as a team when we have players spread out across the world to make sure we're doing whatever is in our control to be prepared for this. And the hype of being at home, that added pressure, that's something we're going to have to make sure that we can manage as a team. But I'm just so excited. I think there is probably not a lot of expectations on us, which gives us a chance to surprise not only New Zealand, but the world. And we really want to get out of that group. We want to make such a big impact to inspire young Kiwi girls to start playing soccer, to dream big. And this could be, this could kickstart something really, really special for us. So I want us to, I want us to win our first ever game at a world cup and definitely get out of that group. But I don't think there's an easy group in this world cup mm. at all. You know, to that point, how's the team's confidence? Cause obviously you guys are, are the home team. There's going to be a huge buzz around the team. And you mentioned the pressure that goes with that but then on top of that i'm looking over your results over the last like year year and a half there's not a ton to hang your hat on so how do you kind of build that momentum within the group no you're completely right and that's something where i think the media there's criticism about us and how we're doing and we just have to keep it locked in and focus on what we can control it's something that i feel with angel city with so many of the teams i've played on but especially new zealand because the world is looking at us, New Zealand is looking at us, but we can't we can't worry about what other people think. We have to clean up what we can clean up. And we did have a good result against Iceland. I think against Nigeria, we played some of our best soccer, but we let in three goals. We didn't score a goal. So right now our focus is really, I think in the opposition's box and in our box is what we need to be better at. And I do think that if players are working on that in their domestic environments, that is something you can improve because it's kind of about a, it's a mentality as a defender, you know, you have to be able to block shots. You have to track runners in the box as a forward. You can be working on your technique, working on being able to get a shot off very, very quickly. 
And the stuff in between the boxes is, is what's harder to work on when you're not together because that's so much of the tactics in the relationship. So I have to be confident and positive, of course. I believe in this team. And there's not much you can do when you don't have another camp until the buildup. But the players who aren't in season right now are together working out in New Zealand, and then the rest of us will join when we are permitted from our various leagues. Ali Riley, Angel City SC in the New Zealand women's national team. As always, great to have you here on Football Americas, Thank and good you. luck Saturday against North Carolina. Thanks for having me. Perk, time to book it. Take a look ahead at the Liga Meki semifinals. First legs. This week, we got Tigres Rayados later tonight at El Volcan, and then we got Chivas America tomorrow in Guadalajara. Let's start with the Regio Montanos, Herc. What are you taking? So I'm taking Tigres in this one, uh, under one and a half goals scored, and it pays plus 700, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the bookmakers are thinking here, and let me tell you why. Tigres at home, they're undefeated in the last five. Not only are they undefeated in the last five games at home, they've only allowed two goals against in that span. This Monterrey team is a team that started playing their worst football towards the end of the season. And I know you could say they didn't receive a goal against Santos in the first leg nor the second leg, but I saw a team that played not to lose away mm. from home in Torreon and then really was fortunate with some very spotty officiating uh, in the return leg. But concentrate on their away form. Plus, Diego Linus, who didn't shoot the ball at all during the regular season, all of a sudden in three, uh, or in, excuse me, in a couple of um, three games in Liguilla has now two assists. And Sebastián Córdoba, I don't know what he eats for breakfast, but he's, he's a man transformed. He's got three goals in Liguilla in three games, leads Goal scores in Ligia. I like this one. You know what these games are like. They're tight. Mm -hmm. They're gritty. They're 0-0, 1-0 games. At plus 700, I'll take this. Okay. So the only way this pays out for you, right, is a Tigres 1-0 win, right? And then you get your plus 700. You have gone down this road before, Herc. You're going back to the well. But with that plus 700 payout, if it hits once, you cover. So I respect that. I'm a little bit worried about your analysis because it flies in the face of my pick for this game. I'm taking over two and a half goals scored, which pays out at plus 130. Now, usually I would take the under in a first leg. That's what I've been doing of late on this show. I like the under two and a half and a draw as a parlay in most first legs, but I'm going against the grain here. One, because of the talent on the field. There is so much attacking talent between these two teams that I figure two and a half goals is not that much to get over. It's not that much task. The other reality, Hurt, and I know you point out Tigres' defensive record of late. They have also been rolled of late by some quality teams. Leon and CONCACAF Champions League steamrolled them. Oh, Scored three. Same oh, with Toluca. Steamrolled them in a oh, half. Wait. Scored three. Okay? So we've seen Tigres be very vulnerable. I don't trust them to keep a clean sheet here. And I think if Rayala score early, then Tigres is going to have to open it up. They're going to have to go for it. We get a kind of crazy game. I like it at over two and a half. I also like it as part of a parlay, Herc. So I'm taking a plus 130 if you want to keep that on your own. But you're going to see in just a little bit. It's part of a parlay pick uh, for me. Go hey, on. Just really quick before we go there. The, the producer won't let me lie. I'd love to say there's a ton of attacking talent and that should produce goals. But we've seen historically mm -hmm. in this series that they're very tight defensively. I know, I know. Okay. What was the score this year when they played one nothing? So I know, I know, not, I know, I know it's a classical, but 
Let's hope for some goals uh, later on tonight at El Volcan. All right, let's go to the game then on Thursday night. Chivas America at Estadio Akron. Herc, tell us about your pick. Yeah, my pick is the Club America win and over 1.5 goals scored. Producer Beto's not going to be happy, but you saw what America did in El Estadio Akron this season. What was it? 4-1? Mm -hmm. Is that what the final Four score? 4-2. Two. 4-2. Two. Two. It could have been a lot worse. I think that too was, was generous for, for Chivas. I, the last 10 games between these two, listen to what I'm going to tell you. Chivas has won once in the last 10 games. America owns Chivas. I'm just going with the numbers. I'm going with the highest scoring team in Liga MX versus the team that they've dominated no matter where yep. they play. And it's a nice little payout. There you go. Music to my ears. So America to win and any anything over one and a half goal score. That is a nice payout there at plus uh, 185. So you gave us a couple parlays. I did a couple picks that I'm going to turn into a parlay. And this is the... Playing it safe, Perk, part of that parlay. I'm taking Ooh. the double chance here on Club America. So a tie or a win covers me here. And yes, I know that minus 260 is ugly, but I'm using some of the same logic that you did. I look back at what happened earlier this season. 4-2 was the final. It was 3-0 at half. America were rolling, right? They dominated Chivas. So I think if we look at that right there, you have plenty of reasons for confidence. On top of that, before America lost to San Luis over the weekend in a game where they didn't need to win, right? They could afford to lose. They lost just once all season. So I feel pretty confident saying that America are not going to lose. All I need is a, a draw or a win. And at minus 260, I'm not going to make a lot of money. I'm not suggesting you bet that. I'm saying parlay it with what I gave you earlier, the over two and a half in tonight's game, Tigres Rayados. That pays out, Herc, at plus 218. I did the math on your parlays. If we parlay the parlays for you, plus 2465, so a $256 payout on a $10 bet if we parlay your parlays. Very responsibly, my friends. Don't be a sicko like this guy. Yes, I mean, I'm just saying, if you're going to swing for the fences, Herc, <laughs> uh, swing for the fences. ESPN Plus, your home for La Liga. We got uh, Tecatito against Andres Guardado. Sevilla against Betis. Huge game, by the way, for Sevilla. Late rally there as they chase a European spot. That one Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern time, noon Pacific here on ESPN Plus. Time to check the mentions, Herc. Some good folks from social media chime in with their questions. Speaking of Andres Guardado, he is retiring from international football. This question, with Guardado retiring from L3, is he in the top midfielder in the history of the national team, Herc? Uh, what do you think? Uh, like, overall, and all of all the midfielders? Of all the midfielders, no. yes. No, he's not. Who, who are you putting ahead of him? Well, Rafa Marquez played as a midfielder for a very good team. Oh, okay, that's a technicality. Let's, well, let's call Rafa Marquez a defender, okay? Well, let's call Guardado a winger. Let's call Guardado left back. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Does he have a place in a historic 11? Yeah, probably. But would he be the best midfielder over Rafa Marquez who played there in that defensive midfielder position? No, he would not. I mean, he had, Rafa Marquez did not make his money with the Mexican national team as a center back. Please put Rafa Marquez out back? of your head for just a second. If we're going to make a best 11, he's going in as a center back, not as a midfielder. Okay, Who is where's the best Andres Guardado going in as a, as a best 11? If it's 11? not Andres Guardado. Where's Andres Guardado going in as a best 11? Central midfield, left midfield, or whatever. Is he the best midfielder? Uh, 
I like. Give me oh. another name if you don't think it's him. I was looking. Pa- well, Pavel Pardo's for my money one of the best midfielders. Yep. So. Yep. And he won at a higher level. So when, would you put him ahead of Guardado? It's tough to put somebody who's played yeah. in five World Cups uh, behind yeah. you. Um, but he's. It's Guardado's a, got the Bundesliga title. I see what you're saying, yes. but. Guardado won a lot in Europe as well. Five World Cups, two for Pavel Pardo. What do you the win other in name Europe? I was going to uh, throw in. A Copa in. with Betis and the Eredivisie. Yep. yep, he won the Eredivisie and he won a uh, second division with Deportivo a second La Coruña. Division with Deportivo. As well, help them go up. Uh, Alberto Garcia Aspe was another name I would have thrown yeah, out. Yeah, Pavel World Pardo Cups, won Pokal I'll, and he I'll also won the Bundesliga. So, next question from our good friends on Twitter. Producer <laughs> Beto's burner account chiming in. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. CONCACAF has announced its new rankings, or the club rankings. <laughs> uh, they've ranked both leagues and teams. So the top-ranked league is Liga Mekis, uh, ahead of MLS. And the top-ranked team is Rayados. I'm laughing uh, LAFC the is third. They're the <laughs> highest-ranked MLS team. Seven of the top ten in Liga Mekis. What do you think? Uh, I think these uh, standings are stupid. They're dumb. Um, and I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. You, you know that at one point um, I was on a short list of one, as one mm-hmm. of the best goal scorers in the world, ahead of Kun Aguero. That was Aguero. not a CONCACAF list, buddy. Let me finish what I was going to say. Uh, ahead of Kun Aguero, ahead of Neymar, ahead of some very good forwards like Lewandowski. Uh, your boy back in 2012 was on that list. That was a historic goal score. Do you know why? Because the ranking system for, for this was like goal scored in CONCACAF tournaments. Mm. So obviously this ranking, will it have a... I guess, good analysis of where I am talent level to these players? Absolutely not. That's what I think right. of this. That's exactly what I think of this. It, it's, it's made up in their own way for their own tournaments, in their own metric, if you will. I put no stock into it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think a, a team like uh, Inter-Miami is going to be higher than, the, who's never had an international game of any worth higher than, I don't know, uh, Querétaro who has. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But that's what they're doing. I don't know. You don't remember Inter-Miami against Barcelona, the biggest game in Inter-Miami history? How'd that, that one seems, end up? Yeah, 6-0. Six 6-0. Nothing. Six nothing. All right, uh, what's next here on Check Dimensions as we look to wrap up this edition of Football America? Juan Burgundy, not Ron Burgundy. Hercules Gomez, how do you feel about my beloved San Diego getting an MLS franchise and Las Vegas getting nothing? That's right. Looks like tomorrow, Thursday, MLS is going to announce team number 30 in Las Vegas for a Pool reported expansion fee, Herc, of $500 million. You okay it's not going to Vegas? I mean, who's going to have it in Vegas, right? One of the issues with Vegas is, is real estate. Where do you put it? They don't want to share the stadium with the Raiders. So, okay, fine. Who's the ownership group? You've already heard, you know, people would rather spend, you know, money elsewhere than spend $1 billion to come in Major League Soccer because you'd have to construct a stadium. So I, I'm okay with it. The one thing that I am kind of feel bad for is, mm-hmm. you know, San Diego Loyal, you know, the Loyal, they, they've done a proof of concept here. They, they've proven you can have a professional soccer team in San Diego. They worked the market. Good things were done. And, and now what's going to happen to that club? What's going to happen to the USL team there? Because this Major League Soccer team comes through. That, for me, is going to be like, wow, it's a sad little part of this. It's a, you know, big bank, eat little bank type of situation. So yeah. I'm sad for that. But the rest is business. Yeah. San Diego Oil, they say they're not going anywhere. Huh? Oh, so they're, they're... Let's see how long that lasts. I know. I know. We have, we've seen it before. USL has trouble staying in town when, uh, when MLS comes in. And San Diego Loyal is not the only competition in that market. You got Cholos as well. 
So it's interesting, right? You go to Vegas, there's a lot more pro sports competition. You go to San Diego, there's a lot more soccer competition. But uh, either way, you see what they're going to name this thing? What? San Diego FC, apparently. What do you think about that? Really getting the creative juices going. Was United taken? <laughs> uh, producer Beto says, Cholos USA. No, yeah, the best think, uh, one was the Anchorman, but they don't have the cojones to do it. No, no, no. I think there's, uh, there's too much trauma from Chivas USA for it to be Cholos USA. That'll do it for us here on Football Americas. Another programming note before we get out of here. No show next Monday. We'll be back next Tuesday night with a full recap of Liga Mekis postseason. By then, we will know who's in the final. No so see you next Tuesday. Right. No Monday. Or put, it in your, Monday. put it in your calendar and plan Mom, to wear your next cool jersey on Tuesday. Put it in my calendar. Tuesday. Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi. We'll see you Tuesday right here on Football Americas.